This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. That is the sound of Exhibit A Brewing Company's Goody Two-Shoes Kolsch-style ale, which must mean that Matthew Steinberg, founder, brewer, overall raconteur of the <laughs> Massachusetts-based brewery, is sitting across from me. Matt, how are you? I'm doing very well, John. How are you? I'm fantastic. We're here at the yeah. Craft Brewers Conference. We're going to talk about Kolsch and... The industry and ingredients and all sorts of fun things. But first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, G&D has led the way on innovative solutions that match their brewing customers' immediate and future needs. G&D backs every product they touch and provides service second to none. Contact G&D Chillers today for your chiller sizing needs at one 800 555 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. And the founders launched SS Brewtech with a very clear goal to advance the brewing equipment's design, performance, and quality to the very highest standards in the industry. With a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing, science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing, SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you would want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. Matt Steinberg Exhibit A has been around for three years? It'll be three years in September. Okay. Yeah. And this is your first brewery, like where you are the guy? Technically, yes. Okay. <laughs> but, you've, but you've had a long brewing career. Sure have. So, so yeah. you know, give me sort of the, the, the strokes. Uh, what inspired you? How did you first come to beer where have you been? What did you learn along the way? And, and, and how did that eventually translate into what became Exhibit A? So I started figuring I would be in the tire business my entire childhood, which is my father's business in the Boston area. Okay. And tires were proven very quickly to not be my thing. Uh, my car always had a leaky tire. I always broke up a, you know, a shock absorber here and there. And, I uh, imagine though that the tire business on Boston roads, especially well, after brutal winters, like that's profitable. just that's just yeah, <laughs> yes, that's yes. just the money tree in the backyard. Yeah, my dad's just printing money. Yeah, <laughs> but he's had a forty-four like year, beer. much like yep. beer. It's just yeah, yeah, it's endless easy. profit. Yeah, <laughs> but forty-four years of operating, he's doing very well, successful tire business. And uh, twenty-one years ago, I left helping build one of his stores uh, to work at a small brew pub in Cambridge called John Harvard's. Yeah. And uh, that was the first kind of working on the brew deck every day and learning about making beer. Jeff DeBishop was my, you know, head brewer there and he's still around and, uh, you know, it, it, it's taken 21 years to get us here. Um, and, uh, you know, I've worked in regional breweries. I worked at a couple other brew pubs, started my own contracted brand, uh, stayed home parent, that was a good job. Yeah, that's a yeah, great job. Not as high paying. No. <laughs> Although in the beer business, they say. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, exactly. And then that eventually led you to Exhibit A. It did. It did. And you're in the space 
that I think a lot of our listeners will will be familiar with, and a lot of beer fans will be familiar with, which was the original home of Jack's Abbey. Yes, yeah, it's a, it's a great home to be in. Uh, when they were punched to the limits at capacity in their space, I uh, I saw an opportunity to talk with the Hendler brothers and, and Paul, their father, and just yeah. say, hey, is this something that's of any interest to you? Uh, I'd love to buy your equipment when you leave. I'll do something with it. And they were like, how about you keep it in place and assume the lease and renovate the space and make it your own and build a brewery down the road from us? And of course. Like, that makes sense to me. Um, and we did it. We just, you know, and in fact, Sam brought over this uh, gentleman who's an Israeli brewer building a brewery on a kibbutz. He brought him to visit really? us on Friday just to introduce us and show him his old home. And uh, actually, he wanted to see the wild goose canning line we have. Okay. You know? So, yeah, yeah. Working for a number of breweries, and, and, and obviously the brew pub setting is, is so much different from uh, the commercial setups uh, that, that, that are out there. But it's what's the nice way for me to say this? I've always found that brewers who got started in brew pubs where they had to basically you know, fulfill customer demands and not necessarily follow their own whims mm. are the ones who have been... I don't know, a little bit sort of more at peace as when they finally get their own place going uh, because they have the fundamentals down. Like they know, you know, how to, you know, make a good amber and they know how to make just a, a good clean stout. And then they can sort they have that, that great foundation that helps them, uh, you know, branch out uh, mm-hmm. or dial in their own recipes or then make their recipes their own as opposed to somebody who, you know, just sort of maybe interns at a place for a little while or was a homebrewer for a little while but now just wants to go do whatever that they want to do but don't, that didn't necessarily have that in the trenches repetitive Absolutely. nature of things. Yeah. I think that's vital. Um, a lot of people would say, you know, education, experience, those are the things you need. Um, I think the experience is primary, at least in my, in my career. I worked at a brew pub. I brewed four batches, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, brewed every day, uh, transferred beers, keg beers, clean stuff. You know, I learned every step. And when I got into production brewing and only had this one focus, I was counting yeast cells and cellaring and working on the little bit on the packaging line. But for the most part, my job was to make sure that yeast is the right of pitch and that the seller is taken care of. That's a different job altogether. That's not really making beer. That's cleaning tanks, dumping yeast, dumping hops, uh, transferring beer. It's where beer... Uh, where it's it's a good place to not ruin the beer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's an easy place to ruin the beer. Very much so. Um, yeah. But I, but I learned a lot from those uh, those supervisors that were over you know that I worked under at those in those years that you know it, it, you know any monkey can make a batch of wort but it takes a real brewer to actually make a batch of beer. You know it's like people strive to be on the brew deck and it's like no the brew deck is great that, you know wort production is important but. Really, that whole process is where beer is made. Every little step, you know, and I, I did, I was lucky. I learned that in the brew pub world, you know, and I took that to production as well. So when you launched Exhibit A, um, what was your focus? What was, what was laid out in the business plan as to what you were going to do? Because I'm, I'm thinking if you're, if you're going to open up in a place that's now going to just be around the corner from the new Jack's Abbey, and they have worked pretty hard to put you know uh you know these these loggers on on 
on the map, as it were. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. and you know, and, and doing just amazing things with lager yeast strains. Um, that you might want to differentiate yourself a little bit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Kolsch, I think, you know, is similar, and you know, and and that's and that's what. I think you're you're best known for is is the goody two shoes. I think in the industry for yeah. sure, uh, the consumer might have a different. We can talk about that. Yeah, but let's okay. But I I as far as like what we thought we would focus on, uh, I knew we were going to lean on hops a little bit. Um, I love IPAs. I love brewing them. I love how the consumer responds to them, uh, and I love how our staff responds to them. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing like a Kolsch brew day or a Kolsch packaging day. Uh, it's celebrated. In our brewery, we we really love making that beer. We take a lot of pride in the reaction we get from that beer. Um, so when I started to conceptualize what Exhibit A would become, I, I knew I wanted to make Kolsch beer. I knew I wanted it to matter to my colleagues. I, that was primary. I cared about what my wife thought about it. I yeah. cared about what the brewer that I am friends with cared about it. You know what he thought about it or she thought about it. And uh, most importantly, our staff. I wanted them to take this one home and be like, this is the soul of our brewery. Um, was that always the plan, though? Was it always the plan to do a culture? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it was the first beer named, um, first beer sort of conceptualized. Uh, you know, I called Judy at BSG and was like, how much wireman can I get? <laughs> She's like, as much as you need. Okay. <laughs> um, when did you first fall in love with the Kolsch style and start to develop your own Kolsch recipe. Okay, so that story has changed a little because okay. my memory, which may be, well, I'm older than you, John. Uh huh. I know we established this before we went on. Everybody thinks that I'm your grandfather, but yeah, it's. But uh, as an elder statesman of such source in this uh, particular twosome here. Yeah. Uh, but no, I I went to Germany and I traveled around Germany when I was a kid, when I was in high school. Uh, I was there for a matter of two weeks, three, two and a half weeks. Senora Lippi, my Spanish teacher, uh, took us to Cologne, and I learned about that city, that culture, that people, and that church. You know, I stood yeah. under it and was, re- and it re- I reacted to it. I later learned. Uh, I brought those pictures home. My grandmother, Bluma Stein, her great, her grandmother, uh, also a Bluma, was. Uh, she made what they called med, but I think they just mispronounced it. It was mead. It was okay. Polish mead. So sure. she said, there's, there's this in our family, and that stuck with me. It never, I never reacted to it. I never did anything about it. My stepfather was a department head of science at my high school. We did some fermentation stuff. So that, was, you know, that started to be a little bit of an incubator, I think. And, uh, and then I got to college and discovered Long Trail and Catamount and yeah. Harpoon and Sam Adams and... And uh, it was 1990, 91, and uh, I started homebrewing, you know, and just wanted to. And I quickly discovered, I went to the homebrew shop, and I was like, hey, I want to make Kolsch beer. And the guy was like, good luck, buddy. He's like, how about you make, like, a decent amber for, like, 15 batches in a row, and then we can discuss Kolsch. And I thought, like, wow, that must be hard to do, you know. And he was right. Like, I needed to learn that technique on making a clean batch of beer at my house yeah. before I could even consider stepping into making a Belgian quad or a fruited sour or Kolsch, in this case, you know. Let's talk about Kolsch, because I think that it, it is 
because of its history, because of the nuance, because of the, the, the skill. And, 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 and I think the skill is obviously the most important when it comes to this. Uh, because this is not a beer where you can just kind of hope for a good result. If you're not paying attention at every step of the way, uh, it's going to suck. It can suck, yeah. And the difference between a well-made Kolsch and an average Kolsch is vast. Mm. And there's a lot of bad Kolsches that are out there as well. You know, I'm always very cautious when I'm out uh, traveling to breweries and, and out at bars. And I, if I see a Kolsch on, I'm going to gravitate towards it. But I'm always going to ask for a, s- a sample first because... You don't want to fight through it. <laughs> no. No, you really... Because it, it, it should just be easy. It should, right? it should yeah. just be... It's a comfortable pair of jeans. It's yeah. a... You know, it's, it's, it's you know, the way that your hiking boots feel after two seasons kind of thing. Like Absolutely. It's, you know... Yeah. So if you would sort of walk me through... And, and, and we went through this in the magazine not too long ago. But mm-hmm. from, from, from sort of start to finish... What makes a good Kolsch a good Kolsch? <laughs> or what makes your Kolsch a good Kolsch? Well, I would like to think that our Because your Kolsch is great, by the way. Thank but, yeah. you. And John's enjoying one. I, I don't am. have one, but I'm not drinking yet today. I got a long night. Um, I just for, didn't stop for us, from last night. <laughs> yeah. so. For us, I think that I, I, I wanted to start with ingredients, but I... But I know as a brewer inside my head and inside my heart that process is going to, has to trump that. It has to be a more important piece of what we're doing. And I just knew what I wanted for ingredients. That was an easy decision. I was getting a little bit of wheat from Valley Malt. I was getting floor malted bow pills from Vireman. I was a touch of their Vienna um, and, uh, and the proper yeast, you know, and there's a couple other little things in there. Uh, certainly Tetanang hops. Um, I set out to make the beer that I fell in love with when I started to learn about Kolsch as an adult. And it was drinking Reisdorf and Fru at, at the Moan and Dove and at the Dirty Truth and later at Lord Hobo and wherever else. Uh, the public house taught me about Kolsch too. And I felt very akin to it. I felt like it was something that I was kind of destined to do in a lot of ways and I wanted to figure out what I needed to do process wise to get there water certainly you know like we look at the the water of that region and how do we you know manipulate our water and our uh and the ingredients that we use to to get there yeah Uh, I haven't done a lot of side-by-sides recently but we did early on and it's you know there's a lot of flavor differences for sure um I think that for for us um, that the mash is really important, I'd, and, and I'd like to stress that our system is actually technically fairly inadequate for what we're doing, um, but we managed so. to make it work. I mean, it's it's a single infusion mash temp, mash ton. We're not separating into a louder ton, so it's not as delicate on the grain. It's a you know you risk pulling tannins through like we're very careful and conservative with that runoff because of that i make sure that 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 wort is bright beautiful bright from from you know from move to kettle to to kettle full and we're checking ph the whole time and uh we've managed to find this sweet spot with the beer uh fermentation temperatures have fluctuated a little bit but we've kind of felt that the 62 starter and let it ramp up at the end a little and then get it cold slowly is really our what's worked for us. Um, keeping the yeast happy, 
is the most important, it seems. It's got to be. Yeah. It's not easy. And I'd love, you know, we're making hazy IPAs. Now, why people say, why don't you just use that cold cheese for hazy IPAs? It's got plenty of, you know, it doesn't drop out. You struggle to get that cold sprite. Yeah. Like, just do it that way. But what we've tried it, and that yeast changes after there's hops in it. Sure. And it will not produce another Kolsch after no, that. No. And so, and we don't have a, a great way of uh, harvesting and uh, pulling at that, you know, that particular yeast at, uh, at that temperature. It needs to cool down a little bit to get a good pitch. So we've, we've just reserved, like, it's the beer we make it, it with. We don't use it for anything else. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a fun ride. All right, uh, I, I'm going to come back to this in just a second, but uh, you were talking about ingredients, and it reminded me that uh, here we are uh, in the middle of the show, and I'm happy to say that great beers are made from select ingredients. With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Their dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need in every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. This episode is also brought to you by craftbeer.com, whose mission it is to tell the stories behind America's small and independent breweries and the cities and businesses that support them. On the ingredient front, I, I, I think my, one of my biggest complaints with some of these, uh, the way that, that some brewers approach these classic styles is to apply the American, the modern American method to them. So it's, hey, here's a recipe that is fairly simple, that needs a lot of attention, but that is, you know, the, the grain bill, the, you know, your, your, your hop schedule, uh, even the yeast, like, it's just, it's, it's fairly simple on paper. Yeah. And there's this American tendency to say, well, let's just double the hops or let's add some caramel malt to it or let's add, you know, for a little bit more color. You know, this culture is, is, is too pale. It's too clear. Is, and, and, there, and there's this, I don't know, this disconnect to sort of, you know, run in the opposite direction. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what happened early on in, in, in craft beer was we had one style of beer forever. Uh, and so the brewers who came on were like, all right, we're going to run as far away from the American light lager as possible, and we're going to have our IBUs arms race, and we're going to have our ABV arms race, and we're going to, you know, just go nuts on everything. That just doesn't work with a style like Kolsch. No. People try. I saw one out there yesterday, Raspberry Kolsch. Yeah. And that's, it is what it is. I mean, people can do what they want. Um, I think what you're getting at is we need to exercise a little humility and I think we need to exercise a little restraint when making these beers um, that's, that's, that sounds harder to do very in, in, hard. in practice than, than words. I think it's hard to do in practice it's also very hard to do in a marketability standpoint because you know the, this arms race you're talking about now it's like you know aside from packaging if we're just talking about liquid what, do you, what are we doing as brewers to get people excited about beer um, or a beer in particular. Yeah. Kolsch is not the way to do it. Uh, it gets us excited. And that, like I said before, that's very important. Um, for the industry to love what another colleague does is, uh, I think, really gratifying and amazing. So there's a disconnect, right? When brewers come by and visit you, and I'm sure they do all the time mm-hmm. uh, by nature of where you are, 
the brewers are going to reach for your Kolsch first, right? I mean, they that's, do. They do. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> um, what does the general consumer reach for when they walk into your place? The Cat's Meow IPA. Straight. It's the first one. It's the Cat's Meow IPA. Yeah. It's the first one they order. Uh, it's, I like to describe, people say, what's your favorite beer that you make? I say, well, I, my favorite to brew is the porter because it just smells great. It's yeah. fresh roasted grains. And, and then uh, the, my favorite to drink is the Kolsch. But the, the Cat's Meow is putting the kids through college. Like, it's keeping the roof on and, you know, fixing the, the leaks and plowing the driveway. But, um, yeah, I, people, our number one selling item, now not revenue, but right. item sales is Kolsch Stangas in the tap room. And, you know, it's a $4 beer. Yeah. But by the ounce, it's all the same. Sure. You know, and, uh, but people, they start with it and a lot of times stick with it, you know, and that to me is, uh, it's gratifying to see, but it's also sort of telling of the direction we're headed. Um, yes, can product, that's a hoppy beer. It's, you know, and it's hard to sell beer in cans that isn't an IPA right now. Yeah. Um, you have to work at it. And I kind of relish the work. I, appreciate the effort that our team goes through and our distributors go through to sell those beers. Of course, the retailers doing the same thing. Um, people like, you know, they see your IPA, they're like, oh, we want to get that. It's like, that's easy. That, you can have that. That's fine. But let's talk about the Porter and, the, and, the, and, the, and this and that and the other thing and the Kolsch. And I think uh, the most fun for me is when I see a draft line for Kolsch and they're like ordering two kegs a week and they couldn't be happier. And they're not, it's not the, 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 the disconnect, I think, for us is that it's not, there's nothing to brag about. There's nothing to brag about. It's, it's supposed to be like last year's hiking boots. It's supposed to fit, mm-hmm. like you said, it's supposed to fit well. It's supposed to feel good. It's supposed to actually more enhance the, the experience than to create it. And I think a lot of beers right now are creating the experience rather than lending themselves to it. Um, I think that we have both. I mean, certainly, you know. Before we went on, and, you, and, and you've, you've gotten to this a little bit on, on the disconnect between what folks in the industry are looking for versus um, uh, the consumer and sort of what happens behind the scenes, as it were. And, and, and I'm, I'm privileged to cover this industry, and, and, and one of the things that I notice is that when I'm out drinking with professional beer makers or people who are in the industry, it is a much different drinking experience. And I don't mean like a harder drinking experience, like we're going... You know, going like big. yeah, we're not going. We're not necessarily going big, but nobody's checking into Untapped, and nobody's no. taking pictures of their beer, and nobody is, you know, really focused. It, it, it is these moments that happen around the beer itself, and having a good, easygoing beer, I think, is. I wonder if if we're losing that a little bit. You know, if if if, if that if that disconnect is getting too much wider because drinkers are being sort of trained to always be checking in or always be worried about you know is their shot framed correctly or, right, right. you know, and, and when you make a beer like this, uh, you know, like the, like the goody two shoes, you know, that just, you know, it doesn't have that, that wow factor, but it also just brings in other things and allows other things to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I see that happen. I, I was just in New York for the, uh, opening bash for the New York city brewers guild event. Oh, sure. Great time. Great crowd. We went to Innerborough for the night before, and it was I love all what Jesse's doing. In his oh my there. god, it's amazing! And so they welcomed us to bring beers. So everybody brought beers. There were probably, I don't know, a couple hundred different beers to taste, and 
Nobody was talking about the beer. Yeah. It was awesome. But we did were, everybody bring lagers and call shit, everything yeah, else? Yeah, there were yeah. so many great pilsners and lagers. There were, there were great double IPAs. There were imperial this and, and, and double that. But, but, and there was a wide variety. But I, the one thing, my brother was there, and he's an enthusiast, and, and, and he does the untap thing. He listens to your broadcast. He, he likes the stu- everything about the beer world. Yeah. He's in radio. But he, uh, he, said, he pointed out, he said, you know, this is awesome. People are into it. They're clearly passionate about it, but they're not focused on it. It's just part of the experience. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we try to do in our tap room is I encourage people to recognize what they have in their hand and in their glass and now in their belly. But, you, but move on. Like, enjoy it. It's, it's meant to be part, a part of it. It's not meant to be the leading part. It's not meant to take you away from your human interactions by going onto a website to tell people about your experience. Um, that can be useful, I think, for us, too, and when people rate our beers or review yeah. our beers. I love it when it's either a completely terrible review, but it's well-written. Um, and I love it when it's a great review and it's well horribly written <laughs> I don't know what that means sure but, but I do I'll, I'll I, go I, with I, it I, I, I got it I yeah. kind of dig the interaction that that can create and I've saved c- c- fans I've received I've gotten fans just like Bruce Dickinson was talking about this morning don't get a customer get a fan and I've gotten fans from customers that hated us like they drank the beer it was old or whatever they didn't like it so I contacted them over this application that they reviewed us on or whatever it was, whether it was Beer Advocate or Untapped, it doesn't matter. I sent them a message and say, hey, tell me more about your experience because I feel like maybe there's a, a way for us to see eye to eye on this. And nine times out of ten, that person's psyched to hear from us. They're more interested in our brewery now. Yeah. And now they're a fan because we owned it and said, hey, come, in out, come on down for another taste. I think you'll like it if you drink it when it's, you know, as it's, as it's intended to be. For context, I'll point out that we're recording here at the Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine booth on the floor of the Craft Brewers Conference, which is happening in Denver. So we're uh, here on a morning where it's like 70 degrees and sunny, oh, and there's beautiful. a blizzard warning for tomorrow <laughs> as well. So Denver yeah. in spring is, is definitely where we want to be. And uh, Bruce from Iron Maiden gave the keynote this morning to the 14 or 1,000 uh, uh, folks who were here. He was great. Um, you know, uh, 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 for it. Um, so that, just some context where people are like, why are you listening to, like, why is the I, guy from Iron Maiden talking to you uh, about <laughs> beer? Um, you mentioned old beer or older beer. Mm-hmm. And um, when you handed me this can of Goody Two Shoes, I was, I was being kind of a jerk. And I actually looked, looked at, at the, the I looked at the date on, on the bottom. And this is, uh, so here we are in mid-April. And this is a beer that was canned in uh, late February. Yeah. And this, it, it's, it's a delicious beer. Like, and it, and it, 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 it is not suffering in any great way. But there are these, I, I think we're, we've been sort of trained as drinkers these days and younger generations of drinkers and certainly uh, newer brewers of if you're not drinking within a week or two, you know, it's a drain. It's changed. Pour. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, and, and, and in a lot of cases it does change. Absolutely. Um, Thankfully, this beer does not. No. Yeah, we put 110 day on it. So it's, it's stable, you know, and uh, we, we don't pull it from the shelf until it's, until we feel it's lost a bit of its luster. And generally that's between 120 and 140 days, but we pull it right before that. 
but yeah. the importance of making beers that can actually hold up a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I strive for that every day. It's <laughs> with impossible. With the IPAs, with the porters, with everything else as well. Yeah, I mean, the IPAs have a... F- it's just the reality of it will be fleeting. I mean, those hops are going to fade, you know, and that part is we get it, and we just want to mitigate that by having as best stability as possible um, without losing the, you know, the, the punch of the hops, you know. Hops are something that I think are, uh, a lot of folks are going to be talking about here at this conference, and uh, a lot of the, the hop growers, in fact, every hop grower on the planet, I think, is here yeah. uh, with, with a booth, and they are trying to uh, um, uh, get folks excited about new varietals. When you go out, obviously not for the culture, but when you go out and you're trying to taste new hops or you know, doing rubbings uh, you know, at these booths and, and, and out and around, what excites you? What do you look for? Oh, I want um, I want to smell something I've never smelled before. Okay. Um, there's a, a new hop that's on the floor today that I've, I I got a good whiff of it uh, back at oh, in the fall at Hop Selection at uh, at Roy Farms I believe, and also maybe at uh, I forget where else we were, but we were drinking um, beers with Sabro. Okay. And this is a new yeah. hop that's uh, yeah. Haas, that Haas put it. out, and it's a really cool, interesting hop. Um, I think that, like anything, we need to mark, you know, the growers and the brokers, they need to, you know, market these things, uh, these new hop varieties, um, in a way that allows us to use something that people would be excited about. And I think there are hops that have, you know, Citra, Mosaic, Galaxy, maybe it's the names are fun, and and people kind of have found a relationship that way. I think it's important, though, to note that there's plenty of great hops out there that are sort of the under, you know, like us, the underrated, um, and uh, and I, and there's a lot of room for for everyone to have, you know, a hop that may not be necessarily as sexy on paper, um, but is in the beer, yeah, and, and delivers in the beer. And I think Sabro might be one of those hops. How so? Uh, it's just really original. It's got some nice kind of grassy notes, but then it's got that fruit. And it's, 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 I don't know, it's hard Does to describe. Does there have a coconut thing going there, on with it? They or? say that, but I had a beer at, stu- at, at Crooked Stave um, that was one Excuse of the Haas me. experimental beers, and yeah. I didn't get any real coconut. Um, I got earth, though, and, I, and, I, and the beer was stunning. I like mean, earth, earth? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. it was cool, like almost German. Like I was getting these cool like German characteristics in my palate, and I'm like, maybe it's the Pilsner I just had? I don't know. But uh, I love that the, to, to participate in that and, and to, uh, to smell something new, you know, and that's always fun. When, whenever we have an opportunity, we, have, we, we do things at the brewery where we brew a new beer that's an ingredient we've never used or, or ingredients we've never used, processes we've tried uh, that we'll try with that. And um, I think Sabro is going to be one we're going to dig into this year for sure. Do you have a pilot system? We do not. Uh, yeah, and, so and we're looking at you, one. You have a, a fairly large... It's like, a 20-barrel. Yeah. Um, so each batch is a 20-barrel batch, but we do our, our test batches are single lengths, yeah. and we go into a 20-barrel fermenter. Jesus. Um, we do have a way to split that yeah. if we so choose, but we don't. We generally keep it as a 20 because we're canning these beers, and it's just not a lot of package sure. uh, at the end of the day. Um, but our demo tapes and some of our other experimental stuff goes in that the little tanks. When... You're fooling around with a new ingredient, though, right? I mean, and you are a meticulous brewer. I mean, you're not just, like, 
let's see what happens kind of thing. I, I, how, Sometimes. How, are you? <laughs> Sometimes. Because I, mean, I imagine you'd be a guy who would have the textbooks out and, you know, just... I do just... read about everything. I, I actually like to try a lot of beers that have, have used some of these things. So okay. if it's a hop, it's that's generally easier than it is a malt to, like, determine. Any new malts, we do a hot steep. So we'll, we'll, we'll do some sensory on the malts. I do that with Valley Malt a lot. Okay. Um, and, uh, like, she just malted some, like, hemp seeds... Really? And that for a small project she's working on with another brewery, and and uh, and I'm going to get some of those seeds as well. Um, now in Massachusetts we can't use CBD or THC, but no. we can use hemp seeds. Okay, <laughs> just pointing that out. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Denver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there, there's no rules here. No, like this is this is complete the lawless west uh, awesome. where we are right it's now. It's awesome. Um, working with local suppliers uh especially uh valley malt which i mean it's just i I think is so well known and uh celebrated for what they're doing uh over there and then your proximity to them i think yeah i mean i live only 20 minutes from them but my brewery is about an hour hour and 10 yeah so not 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 too far yeah it's it's a it's a absolute privilege to be able to use fresh farm raised ingredients and and locally freshly processed cereal grains like just to have that access is um it was 10 years ago if someone told me i could do that i'd be like no i just order from the catalog right yeah you know it like there's a phone number i can call um and there's a person i can talk to (laughs) but yeah what do you see as because obviously you have relationships with the larger maltsters as well but where What's the difference, like from a brewing standpoint, on? Oh wow, the different. And I've actually spoken to my rep from BSG about this. Okay. And I said, you know, when are you going to have me to the house for a barbecue? You know, and she would. Judy would do that. Sure. Um, but every weekend, come on. Okay. And uh, and I do. I, we I consider Christian and Andrea from Valley Malt our close friends. Yeah. Our families hang out. Um, but to get down to the to the professional piece of that, yeah. the, the real reality with us is their ingredients are more expensive. Uh, they're also better in a lot of cases. The larger? And, no, Valley Malt. Oh, Valley Malt. I'm saying okay. Valley Malt is a bit more expensive. Yes. Um, but it's offset with quality, accessibility, marketability, um, and relationship. So I think it's, I consider it absolutely vital that I actually have a real relationship with everybody I do business with. I'm not an email, order the thing and be done with it. I need to talk to someone on the phone. I want to kind of hammer out ideas. We're thinking about doing this. Should I get a couple extra pounds of this? And that way I can feel comfortable that they understand my needs. Um, and there's no one better than Valley Malt at that. Um, when I order grain from her, I call her on her cell phone. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to send you a PO. I just want to make sure that this is a good date for delivery or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, yeah, just send it. Stop calling. <laughs> it's enough already with the calls. Um, but I, I do, I, it's the, that really, it's the relationship and they're and you know, obviously quality price, all those things come into play, uh, and are, and are a priority. But if the relationship's lame, what's the point? There's yeah. plenty of good grain out there. Um, and, and hops. And I have some sour relationships, too, in regards to hops. So I'm like, I don't want to buy hops from those guys anymore. I don't, they, you know, they haven't really had our back. And, uh, and so I, it goes two ways. And with equipment, too, you know, it's the same thing. 
What excites yeah. you equipment wise these days? What's on your What's oh on your God, wish this list? This room is insane. I know. It's so crazy. So for 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 listeners who haven't been here, and there's eleven hundred boots. Yeah, <laughs> and it's everything from fully automated hundred barrel brew house kits that they have set up on the floor that you can take for a test drive to. Yeah. Palletizers and depalletizers and centrifuges. Yeah, so many centrifuges and fooders and I mean, you you basically name it. There's a fooder right. There's a fooder right across. Yeah, (laughs) right across the aisle. There's guys who make socks and there's t-shirt vendors and there the craziest stuff that you can imagine. Insurance agents. A lot of insurance (laughs) agents. A lot of insurance agents. Um, What's on your wish list? You know, a couple years ago it was. You know, people were all excited when I'd show up and. You know, they'd show me like their hot burster, and or yeah. you know, or I'd show up and they'd show me their centrifuge, or you know, they'd show me their new canning line, or or, or whatever. Um, what's exciting you right now? So there's a few upgrades that Wild Goose has done to their uh, lid, the the litter, the, the what literally drops the end onto the top of the can after yeah. it's filled. They've updated a few things there. I'm going to definitely be working with those guys to get that improvement onto our machine. Uh, I'm going to go to ABS Commercial. And they're my tank supplier. Okay. They've been my tank supplier since our first expansion. We're going to be ordering more tanks from them. Cool. Uh, we also are looking at inline carbonation because right now we carbonate Thursday for a Friday canning run, which is fine. But then we got to bump it up in the morning. It's like I want that beer in the tank, carbonated, ready to go, so it can have its moment to settle in the bright tank for 48 hours. And then in the case of Kolsch, it would be 72 hours. Um, but it's carbonated. It's ready. It doesn't need to be bumped up. It doesn't need to be moved around. It yeah. has, has its moment to sort of just live and chill and, and wait to be put into a smaller vessel, be it a can or a keg. And uh, so that, I think, the inline carbonator will help us. I'm also looking at some uh, sort of environmental improvements. Our, our hot water, we're constantly fighting for more hot water. So I'm going to look at getting some instant hot um, and potentially even considering solar energy for some of that stuff because uh, we just bought our building. So... Now, yeah, so now our building is ours, so we can put some solar panels on the roof. Um, so we're, we're looking at some improvements on that side, uh, hot water, like I said, um, and uh, instrumentation, uh, more accurate gauges, better temperature control. Uh, I've just invested in a bunch of flow meters and saw the guys over there from that, flow, from that company and, yeah. and said hello. Uh, we're also making a massive improvement uh, change on our brewery software. Uh, so we're we're going to be in, instituting ecos uh, into our into our systems soon. So there's a lot of people to talk to. Uh, I'm also, but, but yeah. all of this like goes towards what eventual goal? Like what is better beer, uh, more consistent beer, uh, slightly user, slightly you know improvement on the workspace is I think really important safety. Like people talk about the hop bursters and the hop rockets. We have yeah. a we have a Rolex. My reason for buying that was safety. Now my talk my to me team, about that. Why? So we when we dry hop, we're putting you know two hundred pounds of hops into a fermenter for our double IPA and our IPA. The we have to climb fifteen feet in the air to do that if we're top porting. Well, we, the, it's not safe up there on a ladder or you're on a scissor lift or whatever the case may be. It's not as safe as being on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so we, we thought it would be interesting to research these uh, hop dosers, and we got a Rolex in, we tested it, we tried it, and we immediately were like, this is a better solution. It's, it's safer, it's, we use a little bit less hops for better aroma, our beer uh, is ready, not yeah. that this matters for us that much, but it's ready a few days sooner, 
Um, we still give it its full three weeks, but uh, the hoppy beers. But um, yeah, so it's fruiting is really nice with it. So when we do our sour beers that get fruit treatments, we uh, introduce fruit through the inducer, um, coffee, whatever. So there's a lot of process improvements that actually just reflect on our safety protocols. And, uh, and that part's really great. I mean, and that's I, key. Yeah, and it is. It yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a dangerous environment where we are every day. And, you know, I care about my staff a lot, both professionally and personally. So I just feel like I got to keep them safe. We, uh, we just got everybody, anyone who has prescription glasses got safety glasses with their, with their script. Wow. Um, and those are not, they're pretty they're not expensive. Cheap. Yeah, and, they're not uh, cheap. But yeah. they need glasses, and I was tired of seeing them wear their street glasses. It's like, yeah. no, they're not, that's not enough when you're handling chemicals. So, yeah, so we've done some cool improvements there. Yeah, because it, it really isn't just about the end product, but it's everything that leads up to it. Yeah, yeah, big time. And you've seen this through a career in brewing, and I think it's great that you're, you know, leading people that way. Yeah, yeah, it's important. It's important. In a minute, I'm going to ask you what your hope for beer is, Matt Steinberg of Exhibit A Brewing Co. But first, I'm going to thank everybody for listening and remind them that G&D Chiller is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, and that you can head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. You can also bring the world to your brew house with select ingredients from BSG, And then go check out craftbeer.com, whose mission it is to tell the stories behind America's small and independent breweries. Matt, do you have a hope for beer? I do. I have a hope for our palates, and I hope that, you know, we. this is a subjective thing. Okay. This liquid is whether, you're going to like it or you're not. There's no, like, whether, well, it's good, so you should like it. Um, We say that to people, but the reality is, is, I teach this to my kid, your palate's going to change every day. And it does. And I think if we, as, a, as an industry, get a hold of that and understand that it's okay for us to adapt to the consumer, we don't want the consumer to drive what we do. We want to drive it. Yeah. And I think that that's what we, you know, we're talking about with hoppy beers. It's like there isn't an end. In, I don't see an end in sight. Someone's turning 25 every day. And that buyer that has a little extra cash is spending 12 to $20 on a four-pack of hoppy beer. Yeah. Um, it's glory. I'm like, I'm, I got my arms in the air. Yeah. I'm super pumped on that. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and it will help us to be successful, you know. Um, and for, for me, I think my vision of where beer is going is kind of back to its roots in a lot of ways. And, the, and I think... And, it, and I don't mean that about necessarily the type of beers we're drinking. It's actually more about the camaraderie, the experiential piece of it. That, that thing when we're all hanging out in a room together and we're like, and there's a, there's a bar and there's food and there's music. And all of a sudden it, you, there's this snapshot and everybody's got their beer in their hand. And no one's actually even thinking about their beer. Right. They're thinking about the person they're talking to. And I, we've kind of, not that we've lost that, but we've changed that a lot. And I think... I would like to get back to, um, to touch on what Bruce said yeah. in his speech at the, at the keynote address. He mentioned, like, we need to get back into the pubs, and we need to be drinking live ale. And, like, we, we're not all drinking cask ale. No, Come on. But, no, it's, not, but it's should, never going to happen. Right, but, yeah. but we should be drinking beer for the sake of its experience and for the social piece and for the cultural piece. And we, we develop that as a people, not as a culture, I think, in this country where, well, I, that might be contradictory, but 
we developed it through the history of other cultures. We just adapted our, our own kind of Americana on and onto it. Um, what is an American style beer? Yeah. Right. And we don't really, not that we don't have that, but we've taken all of the other stuff from outside and created our own, which is really amazing. Uh, and look what we've built with 7,300 breweries or whatever it is. Um, but they all need to be making better beer every day. Yeah. We all need to focus on, um, a better experience for that consumer. And we need to get out of our own world of this is the only beer that matters. Because if, like, we're all in it, and, and I, like, I talk about the, the rising tide thing a lot to my staff, I'm like, we want Jacks to be great. We want Flying Dreams and Worcester to be great. We want that other brewery to be great. Because if they are, and we are, then the consumer has an improved palate. They're not thinking, well, this must be good. Because someone told me it was good. It, right. It's actually good, you know? And I, and I like the idea of surrounding myself with great beer and great people, you know? And, and uh, you can't do that if there's a bunch of sh- shitty breweries that no, opening up. Absolutely not. And, uh, and we need education. We need people with experience making beers. And we need uh, education, you know? And not just going to class and learning about the chemistry of beer, but actually educating ourselves internally as, a, as companies and as a guild like we do and as an association as the Brewers Association yeah. and having conversations like this you know and continuing education as well yeah, yeah. big time that's the that's yeah. the thing yeah Matthew Steinberg Exhibit A Brewing Company Framingham, Massachusetts uh, if people want to find you I imagine you're on all of the various we do have social media okay we have we have the Facebooks and the, and the Instagrams and I think we even have uh, what's the other one Twitter we have that oh you have a Twitter we do oh good Instagram's our leader right now though yeah that's yeah. that's where it's at right now yeah we have like 14 I don't know my son says you have 14k <laughs> followers that's what he's impressed with yeah okay. yeah he's impressed and with you're the like K. yeah but the culture's really good <laughs> yeah 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 but um well all right so everybody should come and visit you and, come and uh, visit us where we have our tap room open every day but mondays and tuesdays live music on fridays we're opening a beer garden this summer fun um yeah on the property or it's across our street in okay. our in our other parking lot fun in our new property that okay. we just bought yeah Congrats. yeah right. it's exciting well, now i have an excuse uh, a new excuse to, to come up and visit awesome uh if folks have questions for me guess you'd like to hear topics you'd like addressed you can reach out to me directly at john hollis j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at beerandbrewing.com you can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Uh, you should also go to beerandbrewing.com where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can read all about what's happening in our craft beer world right now from homebrew recipes to interviews with brewers to how you can make your homebrew better. Uh, again, that's beerandbrewing.com. You can also check out all of our other offerings as well as uh, the video courses and our accelerator and our festivals and everything else that we're doing so uh check that out and matt thanks again thank you john and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode baba boo yeah oh wow <laughs> look it's i think you're the first one in like a year to do it and you know what i you should be embarrassed but i'm not even going to cut it from there so uh you know no i'm just going to leave that in I'm so you're going to make me it. hit him with the hind too, there huh? it is there it is <laughs> cheers everybody <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.